want to say just welcome again. I'm, I'm so glad to be here today uh, to be able to, to share the word and worship with you guys. Um, it is, you know, one of those weeks that feel like it's been a really long week. Um, I know there's a few other folks here who feel that way. We right now are in a tumult of chaos. We are less than a month away from an election that I know feels fairly apprehensive to at least a few of us. Um, regardless of the directions that we may lean politically, I know we've got folks who are on both sides of the spectrum here. Um, what I know is that we all, and at least I hope I know this about us here in this room, is that what we would love to see is a nation move forward in unity and peace. Um, that we would love to see um, a nation that continues to, to prosper. Um, and I pray really that that would be under the, the wisdom of the Lord. And so um, I want to just do something a little bit different. We did this a couple years ago uh, before the election. Just have a little bit of prayer time for our nation. Um, and, and to be able to, to pray that the Lord would work not only in the nation but in us. Because we know um, that if we started opening our mouths about what we think and believe, that unity might become hard. And we want to pray against that as a church, because we want to be unified in the gospel, even despite the differences that we may have. So would you guys pray with me um, right now? This has nothing to do with the sermon, by the way. Um, and so let's just pray, and then we'll, we'll bring in, get into the word. God, right now, I thank you so much for this day, Lord. And our nation right now seems like it's at war with itself. And God, we, we don't want that. What we want to see is your goodness and your gospel flood our streets, our nation, this world, Lord. And God, I pray that, that through all of this, that, that you would be glorified. I pray, God, that, that no matter what happens, that your church would be ready to share the gospel with everybody who's in need. Lord, that as we seek to be your children, um, God, that we'd be able to come together regardless of our thoughts and feelings, our, our, our politics, Lord, um, and that we would learn and grow out of your word, out of scripture, um, to inform us of how to vote and, and why we vote and, and even what to vote for. But God, I pray for peace this year. Lord, I pray that we would be agents of peace in our community in our workplaces, in our schools, even on Facebook. God, that we would be people who are of the truth and of the light as we give you the glory and all the praise. And God, we seek you today. Amen. Friends, I want to ask you a question. What could cause the one who declared to us do not let your hearts be troubled. To have a troubled heart. Let me ask that one more time. What would cause the one, that's Jesus by the way, who declared to us, do not let your hearts be troubled, to himself have a troubled heart? So we're going to talk about today. It's kind of weird to think about Jesus having a troubled heart. And yet that's where we'll land as we begin our passage in John today. John chapter 12. 
starting in verse 27, it's where we're going to be. Unlike the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John chooses to spend almost half of his Gospel in the final week of Jesus' life. The others are a little bit more balanced and proportional. Uh, the others have three or four chapters before the end, looking at the final week and the death of Jesus. But John, John gets there about halfway through. So even though we're in John chapter 12, and we've got to go nine more chapters to finish the book, we are actually in the last 48 hours of his life right here. Most of us won't even dream of doing that much in two days. And Jesus does enough to fill page after page after page after page in the book of John in his final week, in his final two days. And so um, what I want to drive us to right now, before we even get into our passages, back to last week. See, because the chapter we start this week comes out of that 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 talk, that message that he, he gave last week. And what we're going to find today is that we've got to deal with some heaviness today. And so if you go back in chapter 12 to verses 24 and 25, we see why. In 24, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Verse 25, whoever loses his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Moving on to verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father, the father will honor him. So Jesus is talking about death, okay? There's a reason this next, this next message is going to be heavy. Because not only is he talking about his death and what he's going to do, he's actually telling all of his disciples, hint, that's you and I, that we too are going to need to die some kind of a death. And in fact, some of them... And maybe some of us might actually die a literal death because of our faith. And then Jesus says this in verse 27. Just hear these five words. Now is my soul troubled. Now is my soul troubled troubled. Friends, the one who will command us in two chapters to not let our hearts be troubled himself has a troubled heart. So let me read through our passage for today that we might hear it all together. Verse 27, John chapter 12, verse 27, and moving on through that paragraph. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. 
Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Now again, there's a heaviness in this passage. There is a heaviness when Jesus says, my soul is troubled. Jesus is not one, unlike you and I, who is prone to panic, anxiety, worry, stress, or fear. We struggle with those things, right? But Jesus did not. And yet his soul is troubled. My prayer for us today as we get into this passage is that we would see his trouble through his eyes. And that that might actually help us with some of our trouble. As we seek to live for him as his followers, as his people on earth. So we're going to look, I pray, through Jesus' eyes at a few elements of this passage. Regretfully, there's a few things that we're not even going to deal with today. So if you're sitting there and you think, hey, we, we didn't do that verse, we didn't do that verse, that's okay. If you want to have coffee this week and talk to me about those verses, I'd love to. But I want to see a few things through Jesus' eyes today. And as we do that, I pray that we would... Maybe find some help. So the first thing I want us to see is, is Jesus' troubled soul. Verse 27, of course we've got to land here, right? You can't skip over this. Now my soul is troubled. This word in Greek means to stir up. The image that, that I have of that is, is that of a calm and placid clear puddle in which either a small child runs over and jumps in it causing the water to become murky or perhaps the child grabs a stick and stirs it up and it goes from clear to brown what was placid is now kind of tumultuous what is pure is now kind of kind of dirty it's muddled it's like that image that you may have seen or that the videos, various videos of people jumping in a puddle only to disappear in it because the water is actually five feet deep. The water is stirred up. And friends, I want to tell you when Jesus is stirred up, there is a caution in the wind. Because when the one who is in complete control 
is troubled. Friends, we need to be troubled as well. He is in great distress. We cannot underestimate what this means. He's in great distress. You and I, we get in great distress over a few things not going our way. But Jesus, Jesus has his impending death on his mind. He knows it's right here, right in front of him. In fact, he uses this phrase, this word we see throughout chapter 12 and other places where he says, this hour. And what he means by that is, is a euphemism, euphemism for his death. Over and over again, he says, this hour, this hour, this hour. What he's saying is, my death is imminent. It's right here in front of us. And as he looks at that, you can believe that he knew what was coming in terms of his physical death. There are only a handful of ways to kill people that the human mind has conceived of from the beginning of time that might be thought of even in the least to be worse than the Roman cross. A monument of destruction. Painful. Horrible. Terrible. And it's right before him. There's no way he got into the city of Jerusalem without seeing somebody dying that way. And that's in front of him. The human mind really is capable of tremendous evil. Amen? But worse than his physical death is his spiritual one that's coming. When you think about Jesus and you think about the Father, Scott reminded me about this week. He was reading about the Trinity and he was all excited. Just think about what it was to be Jesus and the Father, to be the Son and the Father in all eternity. There is not a moment in eternity past, eternity present, or eternity future where Jesus would be separated from his relationship with his Father. Not one. Except the cross. When we lose someone in this life that we had 5 or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years. There is an ache, a pain of that separation. How much more so if we were with that person for all eternity and then we're not. In verse 27, Jesus says this, Now my, is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Now don't get me wrong, don't get the scriptures wrong. Jesus more than willingly went to the cross. He more than willingly went forward to it. He was not forced to by God the Father. And you actually see this in this passage right here. He says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. See, Jesus says a prayer and he says, Lord, save me from this hour. But then he immediately turns around and answers his own prayer. Only Jesus can do that. Okay. And he says to himself, 
but, he says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. He is more than willing. There are those in this world who will look at you and say, oh, you're a Christian. You believe in a cosmic child abuser who say God abused Jesus by sending him to the cross. It's false. We worship a God who did, in fact, willingly send his son, who was also willingly invested in the process. Because of love for you and I. Jesus says, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. For this purpose I've come to this hour. So here's the key. He says in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. What is the purpose for which Jesus came to this hour? To glorify God's name. To give him the glory. This was the best glory for God. And we see that as a voice comes down from heaven and God the Father speaks so it all might hear, but not everybody would understand. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. In other words, Jesus' biggest concern right here, the thing he's most concerned about as he's coming into the hour of his death, is not his life, it's, it's his physical life, it's not his spiritual life, it's God the Father's glory. And I just think about all the things that I'm concerned with on a day-to-day. Because while Jesus is getting ready to suffer more than you and I could ever suffer, his one concern is the glory of God. My one concern about five minutes ago was what I was going to eat for lunch because I'm starting to get hungry. How about you? What was your concern before you left the house this morning? Getting kids here on time? (laughs) What you're going to eat, what you're going to do this afternoon. Jesus' concern is with the glory of God. Friends, this is his grief. He is concerned that God might not be glorified in this. And of course, I would say he's kind of justified in that. I just picture Jesus getting ready to sacrifice himself on the cross, and all around him is people like me, and you. And he's got to be thinking to himself, really? Really? I mean, I'm about to do this, and they can't even get anything right. So surrounded by everything he's done in his life, now he's reading himself, or readying himself for his own death, readying his followers for his death, and he is still concerned with the glory of God. Jesus' soul is grieved that there might be something that might steal or take away or hide the glory of God. This is his concern. Even as Jesus is glorifying God in his obedience to the Father, in the plan of salvation that will result, and he knows this, that will result in the salvation of many 
and the drawing of people like you and I to actually give God the glory he deserves through Jesus Christ. We can't do that without him. This is his concern. He is grieved that something might take away from it. That something might take away from the glory of God. And Christian, if you are a Christian, let me ask you this. Are you concerned the same way about God's glory? Are you concerned with with the glory of God or is there something else that is far more important to you? Friends, I think as Jesus looks around and he sees these people around him, he is grieved over the one thing that takes the glory from God the most, most of the time. Anybody know what that is? Sin. The very thing he's about to defeat on the cross. Are you content in your sin? Are you content in your brokenness? Are you content in half-hearted, often double-tongued worship that takes away from the glory of God? Or do we grieve, as Jesus does, over our sin? Let me ask you three questions. Do you grieve over your sin? Do you grieve over your sin? In John chapter 21, we encounter the story of Peter. Now, you all may remember, Peter is one of Jesus' best friends. And on the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter is like, I will never desert you, ever, for sure, for reals, never. And within like three hours of that, he's denied him three times and he walks away shameful. Fortunately, Jesus doesn't leave Peter in his shame. That's fortunate because he, it's a good testament to the fact that he probably won't leave us in ours either. And after Jesus is resurrected, he pulls Peter aside and three times asks him to, to, if he loves him. And each time Peter responds, yes, I do. And Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. On the third time, this is what it says in the book of John, chapter 21, verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you believe me? Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Christian, do you grieve over your sin? Do you grieve over the the little sins or the big ones? And yes, all sin is the same in God's eyes, but you and I both know we justify all these little ones while we hide all the big ones. Christian, do you grieve over your sin? Jesus did and does still. Here's the second question. Do you grieve over the sin of your loved ones, your neighbors, other people in this church or other churches. Jesus does. Second Corinthians 12, 21. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn 
over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Here's Paul, the pastor, the church planner, grieving over the sin of people that he has loved and cared for and brought to Christ. Do we grieve over the sin of our loved ones? Do we cry over the sin of our kids or our parents or our neighbor? Let me ask you this. Do you grieve over the sin of the world? Luke 19, 41 through 44 says, When he drew, when Jesus drew near and saw the city, it's Jerusalem, he wept over it saying, what that you, even you, had known on this day, the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Church, do we grieve over the sin of the world? Do we grieve over the sin of our nation? Do we grieve over the brokenness that is all around us? Or do we do our best to just not see it? I want to take a quick break right now and pray. God, I just, I pray and, and Lord, I pray that we would be before your word right now. God, I do pray that we would be grieved for the sin of this world, of our loved ones, and especially of ourselves. And God, I pray that you would strengthen us today as we come to the rest of this, because we know that we're not going to stay at this place. Because even, Lord, you, you found comfort in this passage. So I pray, God, that, that we would be a people that do grieve over sin. We would struggle with it. We'd cry over it that it would bring us to our knees and to reliance on you and you alone. Amen. Friends, Jesus' soul is troubled. I'm praying right now that yours is too. I do. I hope it is. I also hope that you know me well enough to know that this is where we're ending today. I hope you know the scriptures enough to know that this isn't where they end either. See, Jesus' soul is troubled, but there is a ton of comfort in this passage for him. And there's a ton of comfort in this passage for us. So the first thing we saw was Jesus' troubled soul. The second thing we want to see is where Jesus' comfort comes from. And the reason we want to see where Jesus' comfort comes from is because we have these awful tendencies to comfort ourselves in other ways that may bring a little bit of relief but does not bring eternal relief. We throw things like alcohol and marijuana and other drugs at our problems, at our troubles, and, and they work until they don't. Some of us will choose in our lifetime to abandon the one that we love in marriage for the comfort of another, only to find out that actually maybe that other one is less comforting than the first. 
We throw things at our comfort. We throw entertainment at it to not think about it. We throw substances at it to eliminate the effects of it. We throw all kinds of things, but what does Jesus do? That's what we're going to see. And so I want us to find some comfort. Are you ready to find some comfort in this? I hope so. The first, comfort in the confidence in the plan. Okay? Comfort in the confidence in the plan. Even though he is troubled. Hear this. Even though he is troubled, he is the one that actually is the first bit of comfort for himself. He says, Lord, take this away from me. God, take this away from me, right? You and I pray prayers like that all the time. Then how does he answer? He says, but. But. Right? He says, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. See, Jesus knows the gospel and he preaches it to himself even in this little tiny phrase. See, he knows what it's all about. He knows why it's there. And the simple act of preaching the gospel to himself brings the first bit of comfort to him in this passage. Amen? Friends, I want you to tell you we need to be a people about preaching. A people about preaching. And I don't just mean right now on Sunday morning when you hear me or uh, Scott or anybody else. Or when you listen to podcasts during the week or um, old sermons of Billy Graham or whatever it is that you do midweek. We should do some of that, by the way. We need to be a people about preaching every day. Preaching to ourselves the truth of the gospel and preaching to each other the encouragement we all need to press on. In this moment, Jesus preaches to himself. And it is a model for us to preach to ourselves. And a lot of you have been here at Calvary for a while. You know I've said this before. We are a people who love listening to ourselves. Most of the time, we just listen to ourselves. As ourself says, you are dumb or stupid or whatever else it might be. You're unfaithful. You're beyond hope. Just stay in your depression bubble. It'll be fine. But what does the gospel say about us? The gospel says that we have become in Christ God's children. It says that we've become more than conquerors. It says that we have been specially chosen by God for salvation. It tells us all kinds of things that our brains usually don't. So friends, we need to be about preaching the truth of the gospel to ourselves. But not only that, we need to get really good at preaching the gospel to each other. If a brother comes to you or a sister comes to you and says, I'm having a really hard week. I got this going on. I'm struggling with this. I got this sin. I got this. You know what we get to do? We get to preach the gospel to each other. And let me tell you something. If you are someone who does not preach the gospel to other people, they're not going to come to you. They're not. But if you are someone who speaks and lives and shows the gospel constantly, preaching it, not in the pulpit, but to your family, to your kids, to your coworkers, to them, then you are going to be the first stop on the gospel train, right? And they need encouragement. And this is what the church is for. 
We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to preach it to others constantly. Because there is comfort in the confidence in the plan. That God has set a plan in motion and he is carrying it through. Here's the second place we find that Jesus finds comfort. He finds comfort in the Father. Okay, verse 28. Verse 28. He says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I've glorified it and I will glorify it again. Right? He prays. Friends, this is something that we often miss in our times of distress. I know not all of us do this, but some of us, myself included, when things are really hard, the last thing I want to do, and yes, I'm saying this as your pastor, is pray. We like our pity parties. We like to sit in junk for a while. And yet we have a father who is right there waiting for us to just turn around and reach out. The number of times that my wife says, you know what we should do? We should pray about this. Because there's a comfort in the Father right there. The amazing thing in verse 29 and 30, um, the crowd that stood there, it says, the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thunders. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered them, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. He didn't need the audible voice. His father was already there for him. The voice was for everybody else to hear and to listen. Christian, if God thundered out of the sky to you today, would it be an encouragement or would it be terrifying? We can find comfort in the Father just as he did and does. All right, the third place we find comfort in this, that Jesus finds comfort, is in assured victory. Assured victory. Verse 31 It says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Verse 32, and when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Right? Jesus is is speaking this. He's telling everybody about it. You can tell his, his... his kind of affect seems to have changed a little bit by now, right? He's, he's preached to himself, he's been comforted by the Father, and now he's resting in the victory that is to come. And he says, here now. And what does he say? Check this out. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Now is Satan defeated. That's what that means. Now. That was 2,000 years ago. Some of us need to hear that because we're still giving Satan a ton of power in our lives. He says jump and we're like, how high and how far? But Jesus took his power away 2,000 years ago. The only power Satan has is power that we give to him. There's an assured victory. Friends, Church, we know the end of the story. 
God wins. Okay? God wins. Jesus said in verse 27, remember this, for the purpose, glorify your name. Verse 28, God says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again, right? Remember, Jesus is concerned about glory. And God says, look, it's already happened and it's going to keep happening. Can we find comfort in the assured victory? Fourth, we find comfort as Jesus found comfort in knowing that his impending suffering was not in vain. Right? That he knows he's about to suffer, but he knows it has purpose. Many of us have suffered. Many of us have find ourselves, maybe even right now, in this moment, suffering. Maybe it's physical pain. Maybe it is emotional pain. Maybe it's spiritual pain. Uh, maybe we can't even put a label on it. It just hurts. When Jesus looks at what's about to happen to him, he declares that all people will come to him. Now, the important thing to know about that is that it doesn't mean all people is in like every single person. We know it's not true because we know people who don't. We know people who have heard the gospel, who've heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and yet they're still running in as far and as fast from him as they can. I pray this is not you. I suspect there's a few people in here who that is true for, though. And I pray that that would not continue. But when Jesus says this, what he's saying is that there's, there are all kinds of people. In fact, literally, the Bible tells us that, that, that someone from every tribe, tongue, and nation in history and future will need to be a part of the kingdom of God for there to be completion. All kinds. See, Jesus knows that he's going to the cross, but he knows that it's not in vain. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like if he's like, all right, I'm going to go to the cross. Hope somebody comes. Friends, Jesus went to the cross knowing that there would be millions in history who would follow him to eternity. His suffering would not be in vain. And neither is yours. God is sovereign over our suffering, right? These are two truths. We suffer and God is sovereign. That means God must be sovereign over our suffering. And I don't know why. I couldn't tell you why you hurt right now. I hope that you have an answer for that at some point, but I can tell you over and over again, the various times in my life that I have suffered, how God has done something purposeful with that for my good or somebody else's, and always for what? His glory. See, when we take our, our mind off us as the first thing, God's glory becomes the thing that we're focused on. And you know what? I don't want to suffer for my good. I don't. I'm lazy. Okay, I don't like that. But can we suffer for God's glory? And is that not what we're called to? Comfort. Jesus finds comfort in these things that are so solid in the gospel. 
in the word. So friends, what we've seen is his troubled soul and why his soul was troubled. And then we have seen where he finds comfort. And I pray that we too have found comfort in that. The third thing we see in this passage is what Jesus hopes for. What Jesus hopes for. And I would say this, what he longs for. What do you long for? It's okay to long for things that aren't God. But God should be the biggest longing we have. And my guess is for most of us, that is not always true. But what does Jesus long for? What does Jesus long for? Before we get there, we need to go to the verse 34. And in verse 34, what we see is that the crowd answers him. And they say, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up or taken away, really is what they're saying. Who is this Son of Man? Right, you've got this crowd, and here's the deal. They know the scriptures pretty well. At least, you know, the part before Matthew, which nobody knew at that time afterwards. They know the scriptures. They know God, or they know of God. What they are, and I want you to hear this well, because some of us might be this as well. Um, we might have an informed confusion. Right? They know what the Bible said about the Christ. But they're confused about how it works in such a way that even as Jesus speaks, as he demonstrates over and over and over again that he is the Christ, the Messiah, that was spoken of all throughout the Old Testament, all the way moving forward, they're still like, I don't see it. They are suffering from informed confusion. They are so close and yet so far away. This is the curse for those of us who grew up in the church. This is the curse for those of us who grew up in the church, who spent every Sunday in a pew like this since we were little. We know a lot, but sometimes we're pretty confused about what it means. This is also the curse for those who have been in the church for a long time. Because we know a lot. But sometimes we let the important bits fall away. And this brings me to, to, to the longing that Jesus has, the hope that Jesus has. Let me read these, verse 35 through 36. Jesus says to them, to those who are the informed, confused, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. He is longing for lost people to turn to him. He is longing for this crowd that's around him, hearing him teach, to turn to him, to believe in him, to follow him, to become sons and daughters of light. 
This is what he longs for. But that longing comes with a warning. Right? It's a warning to not wait too long. He says, it could be too late. See, some of us think, man, we'll, we'll, we'll get it together next week. I'll get it together next year. I've even had people who say, look, I believe in Jesus. I'll follow him on my deathbed. Lessons in missing the point, people. The warning is that, is that there might be. Remember that there is an expiration date on when this can be applied to us. All the more warning for you and I for whom we look back and we say, look, Jesus was literally talking to people. He's talking to them and he's saying, look, the light's not going to be amongst you very much longer. The next day, the light's gone. The next day. Fortunately, in God's plan and his sovereignty, that light would return. And that light is still available to you and to I. So let me read this again for you. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Before it's too late. Friends, we need to be a people that are quick to turn to him. And I don't care in that whether you've been a Christian for 80 years or 50 years or whatever it is. Or you're still trying to figure out, is this Jesus thing real? The warning, the, the caution is the same. Turn to him before it's too late. Friends, when we sin, when we struggle, we need to be quick to turn to him. When God's word speaks to us and convicts us and says, hey, you need to do this. We need to be quick to turn to him. And if you're someone who's here and you don't know Christ, you're trying to figure this out, let me say this again. You need to be quick to turn to him. We don't know what time we have. We don't know what time we have. Christian, the light is before you. The light is calling to you to follow Christ to glorify God with your obedience, with your suffering, with your serving, with your loving. Christian, the light is before you. It's calling your name, and it's saying, come and do this. Come with me. To the non-Christian, the voice is saying, come. It's dark everywhere else. Come before it's too late. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you.